Dear congregation of the Lord, are we more righteous than the Christian churches in Russia and Ukraine suffering from the war? Are we more righteous than the churches in China suffering from persecutions? What about the churches in Nigeria suffering at the hands of Islamic terrorists? What about the, those in Liberia, in Congo, facing civil wars, epidemics, and many other calamities? Are we less sinful than them? The answer is no. How can we know? For us Reformed Christians, my questions even border absurdity and considerable pride. Those people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should mourn for them, pray for them, and help them as much as we can. You might wonder, why those questions? Why? Because that's how many people thought in Jesus' time and still think today. The prosperity gospel people, for example, think that way. Which way? The way of the pagans and of the Jews of Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, many Jews thought calamities happened only to the extremely sinful. Abundance was a sign of blessing, and calamity was a sign of curse from God. The rich were the ones who pleased God, and the ones dying in horror were the sinners by excellence that God had cursed. Our Lord had to confront that mindset during his ministry. How did it happen? He was on his way to Jerusalem to die for our sins. On his way, he was giving various teachings. But after a while, the Pharisees started accusing him of casting demons by Beelzebub the prince of demons. Then Jesus started a series of stern teachings to warn them. One of those teachings was on the necessity of repenting before the arrival of God's judgment. Amid those teachings, some people interrupted him. They talked to him about a calamity that had recently occurred. Wicked Pilate had killed some Galileans while they were in the process of offering, of making the sacrifice to God in the temple. So those people want to, wanted to know what Jesus thought about it. Jesus, as usual, surprises them with his answer. 
He tells them, do you think that those Galileans were the worst sinners? No, unless you repent, you will likewise suddenly perish when you expect it the least, and you will not be able to repent. Jesus continues, lest you think that those Galileans, that those calamities happen only to Galileans, a tower in one corner of Jerusalem suddenly fell and killed 18 people. Do you think that they were the greatest sinners in Jerusalem? No. Unless you repent, you will suddenly perish like them, without the opportunity to make things right with God. This call to repent when we still have the time is the focus of today's sermon. Therefore, my assignment this morning is to minister God's word to you under the following theme. The Lord warns us, repent now before it is too late. The Lord warns us, repent now before it is too late. Under this theme, we will see two points. The Lord has been patient enough and the Lord gives us another chance. The Lord has been patient enough and the Lord gives us another chance. Our first point, the Lord has been patient enough. In the first verse of our text, we read, and he told this parable. We understand that Jesus, as a great teacher, is trying to impress on his listeners how urgent it is for them to repent. Like all good teachers, God, uh, Jesus is now using an illustration. He tells them a parable. Jesus says, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Children, we notice many things in this clause. What are they? What do we notice, children, about the fig tree? The fig tree was not a wild fig tree that grew up on its own somewhere in the wilderness. No, someone had planted that fig tree. Where was the fig tree planted? The tree grew in a vineyard, in a kind of garden. Now, what was a vineyard at that time? A vineyard was a ground that a gardener or vine dresser took care of by fertilizing it, tiling it, and removing wheat. What was the vine dresser's job? His job was to do all that was necessary to make the ground fertile, to make the ground a good place for the fig tree and the vines to grow. Next we read, 
and he came seeking fruits on it and found none. The owner of the vineyard came and found no fruit. The Greek here implies that the man kept coming. Week after week, season after season, he kept coming, looking inside the tree. And he had to come close because figs are very small and difficult to see from afar, especially when the tree is leafy. But after multiple trips to inspect the tree for fruit, he could find no fruit. Then, what did he do? We read in verse 7, And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should he use up the ground? The owner here is talking to the vine dresser, the wine, uh, please, the one taking care of the vineyard. He says, See, see, please, for three years I have been coming again and again inspecting this tree, and it has produced nothing. Enough with this ungrateful tree. Please cut it down. It is using up space, taking our time and using the nutrients that the other trees and the other vines could have used. Now, was the owner of the vineyard impatient? No, he was not impatient. Three years was sufficient time. The fig trees, fig trees please, produce in general twice per year. But this fig tree had produced nothing for three years after reaching maturity. Thus, the owner was not at all impatient. He had waited for long enough, but the tree had disappointed him. Not once, not twice, not thrice, but six times. How will you feel if you were the owner of the vineyard, coming to inspect the tree many times per season and having your expectations crush six times? You invest money and time and you have nothing in return. I am sure you will be frustrated. Probably you won't even wait to be disappointed for six seasons. Now to bring it close, imagine that you are an employer. You have your own company or maybe you lead a department in a big company. You go through the difficult process of hiring an employee. From the first day of work, he receives all the benefits, and you train him. But for three years after the hiring process, he remains unproductive. He is a do-nothing. He shows up to work, but that's all. He is very keen on work conditions, taking holidays, and having a race, but that's all. He produces Nothing. What will you do? 
Scripture sometimes portrays Israelites as the Lord's vineyard or a vine planted in Israel, just as we have read in chapter 5 of Isaiah. So these clues and the context of our text help us understand that this situation of unproductivity, despite heavy investments, was the situation of God's people collectively and individually. God had shown patience and grace to the church for centuries. God called Abraham from the heathens. Out of Egypt, God freed his people. From Babylon also, he brought them back. God sent them prophets day in and day out, rising early in the morning, telling to the people, repent, turn to the Lord. When the fullness of time had come, he sent John the Baptist saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Prepare the way of the Lord. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Repent. Finally, Jesus himself arrives. He has been preaching the gospel of the kingdoms for many months. And he is on his track to the ultimate sacrifice for God's people. And he's calling them. Repent before it is too late. Jesus addresses us today with the same call to repentance. As a community, we have received so much from the Lord. He has made us his covenant people. For many of us, we have been hearing the gospel since the time of our conception. Remember, for example, those new immigrants who came to the Netherlands. God blessed them to form the churches to which we now belong. Now, as covenant people, are we grateful? Are we producing fruits in line with repentance? Are we becoming Christ-like, increasingly faithful? Is Christ exalted among us? Or do we take God's blessings for granted? Are we bringing the world, importing the world in our community? Are we importing the world's mindset, the world's taste, and the world's priorities in our community? The call also applies to us as individuals. Are we fighting against our indwelling sins? Are we fighting against our secret sins? Do we confess them to God and plead with him and pray him to give us the strength to turn away from them? Are we serving God's people out of love for Christ? Do we love in word and in deeds? At the community and also at the individual levels, the Lord expects fruit from us. 
He has been giving us what we need to be fruitful. So please, let us not be ungrateful. Let us summarize what we have seen so far. We have seen that Jesus uses the imagery of a barren fig tree planted in a vineyard to impress upon God's people the urgent need to repent. Then we saw that the barren fig tree represents God's people as a community and as individuals. And we applied to us that call of repentance. We apply it to us as covenant people and as individual members of the covenant. Let us proceed. For good reasons, the vineyard owner wants the vine dresser, the gardener, to cut the fig tree down. Children, if you have been following, we say, cut the fig tree down? No, they will not cut the fig tree. Why? Let us see in our second point. The Lord gives us another chance. Something interesting happens in verses 8 and 9. There we read, And he, meaning the vine dresser, answered him, the owner, saying, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The vine dresser, the one sweating in the vineyard, starts interceding for the barren fig tree. He requests the owner to give the fig tree another year, that is, two seasons to produce fruit. The vine dresser intercedes after working on the tree for more than three years. Remember, the tree is a mature tree. The tree spoken of is more than three years old. And when we read three years here, those are only the years during which the tree was supposed to produce fruit. Thus, we understand that the tree does not deserve at all an extension. But still, the vine dresser wants to go the extra mile of the extra mile. How? He wants to dig around it, to, lo to loosen up its soil. Fig trees didn't need that. He wants to put manure around it. Again, fig tree didn't need that. But he still wants to do that, to have the fig tree to produce. Let us return to our illustration of the first point. You are a boss, and you have an employee that you have been paying, but without receiving any productivity in return for three years. When the time to sack him comes, 
Will you give him an additional year of training to develop his skills? Will you give him new tools? No. Most people will say, sorry, the door is open. You had three years. I have given you improved work conditions. I have been paying you all this time. Sorry, we hire someone else. But in this parable, the owner and the vine dresser accept to give an extra opportunity to the tree. Although the likelihood of productivity is extremely low. Dear congregation of the Lord, this is a picture of our God. Patient beyond measure, rich in loving kindness. He does not delight in the death of the sinner. He wants the rebellious one to repent, to turn to him and live. God manifested his great patience toward the church of old. That's why he could send them prophets after prophets. He could bring them back from Egypt, from Babylon, and even in the time of Jesus, incline the Romans' hearts not to destroy them completely. That's why God sent them his son, knowing that he will come and that people will crucify him. Who can be so patient and gracious. Who? No man can. God alone can be so patient and gracious. But God's patience has limits. We never know when it runs out. The church of old did not realize that God's patience was running thin. Instead of repenting, what did they do? Instead of hearkening to the call of Jesus, what did they do? They crucified him. And even after the resurrection, they persecuted his apostles. And in doing so, they provoked God's wrath to the extreme, showing that they had become what? A false church. When we do not turn, when we persecute those who want to follow God, that's what we become. And ultimately, in AD 70, God's fury fell upon them like a volcano. He destroyed the nation completely. And the priesthood was abolished, the temple, everything was destroyed in great violence. And something similar happened with the church in the East. Those churches that Jesus was warning in Revelation, they didn't listen to him. And ultimately, they were cast away. And the same happened to the churches in North Africa, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Egypt. That place was a Christian place filled with churches. But it is no longer the case today. Therefore, considering the boundaries of God's patience, we should sober up. As a community and as individuals, we must refrain from taking God's patience for granted. 
The fact that God is not punishing us immediately for every single sin does not mean that he is happy with our sins. The patience of God is supposed to lead us to repentance. And those who take God's patience for granted only accumulate, store up wrath against themselves. Let it be not our case, brothers and sisters. Let us turn to Christ. Let us be quick to repent. Let us turn to Christ today. As we saw last week, Christ is supreme. In him, we have all that we need for life and godliness. We don't have to muscle up. We have just to ask him and will produce in us fruit by his spirit. He will give us the energy, the wisdom, the discipline that we need to use the means of grace and to be fruitful as covenant people and also as individual members of the covenant. It's not about trying harder. It is about turning to Christ, not presuming on God's patience, much less when we are reformed, when we believe that repentance is a gift. We don't tell to ourselves, especially when we are young, Oh, when I will be old, when I will be 80, I will repent. In other words, since repentance is not in our power, it is better for us to repent now, asking Jesus to incline our hearts to him. Because we do not know, we, we do not know whether we will be able to simply switch repentance on when calamity or death strikes at the door. Before we end, we should understand this. This call to urgent repentance is in fact a call to gratefulness. It is a great manifestation of God's love toward us. Think with me. Which parent will not warn his child who is getting engaged on the wrong path? How will you react if you see your toddler trying to put a steel nail into a power plug? How will you react if you see your teenage dangerously trying to take a selfie close to the edge of a cliff? But Jesus' love, Jesus' love is by far deeper, by far greater than any love that a parent can produce. And that's why in Scripture, Jesus is the one who speaks the most about hell. That's why he's calling us to be grateful today. That's why he's warning us. In front of such a great love, shouldn't we be grateful? Shouldn't we be grateful for all that God has done, has been doing for us? He sacrificed his son for us when we were still dead in our sins and trespasses. 
when we were rebellious sinners, he sacrificed his son to us. He allowed us to hear the gospel. It's not given to everyone. Some people have never heard the gospel. He granted us to be in a faithful, confessional church. Many people are looking for it and they don't find. He gave us parents who did not abort us, but taught us the gospel. We live, in, we live in Canada, one of the most abundant places in the world. We have access to so many resources to grow in the faith, to develop our gifts for the kingdom of God. Shouldn't we be praying to Jesus to make us bear fruit in keeping with repentance? How ungrateful will it be if we remain barren? Near church goers, we put religiosity as a bag on Sunday. We are absent congregational members. We are not working hard to be integrated in the body, to be a blessing for others. Please, dear people of God, let us be grateful. Our Lord is so loving and he has done so much for us. Let us make it our aim to request him constantly to make us bear fruit out of gratefulness. Whenever we hear of calamities or whenever it strikes around us, let it be for us an instrument of remembrance to make us remember, to remind us how gracious God has been to us. And let us use it as an incitement to be more and more grateful to the joy of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, the glory and satisfaction of Christ, and the glory also of our Heavenly Father, who loved us so much that he sacrificed his son Jesus Christ for us. Amen.